In the same way, yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness, for sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. So there we go, Romans 6. You go, what in the world is Paul talking about here? Maybe. But he's talking about how faith in Jesus Christ can and does produce real concrete changes in your life. So Paul has sort of finished. We didn't talk a lot about what the specific gospel good news was last week. I hope you touched on it in small groups. But that's the second half of chapter 3 and, and chapters 4 and 5. But Paul starts to get into now how faith in Christ can act like your real life now, not just heaven when you die and later on. Um, so it comes the chaos. But see, remember, uh, Paul here brings out the fact that the gospel has a theme in it that is unique among all of the religions and all of the philosophies of the world. And it's simply this, that salvation is received. Okay, it's not achieved. It's received. It's, it's received not on the basis of your goodness or your right behavior at all. It's not achieved. It's received. And that is a radical, radical worldview. And again, that is totally different than every other religion or, or philosophy out there. But so naturally, this kind of salvation would bring, uh, should bring us maybe to, to ask the question, and certainly brought these Romans to ask the question, essentially, um, then why even change? Like, Paul, why can't I just go on sinning so that grace may increase? Which is asked again in verse 15. And so Paul, like, really is trying to confront this question. They're basically saying, then why change at all? Why do we even need to change? And most importantly, how does that actually happen for the Christian? How does Christian change even work? And so I want to argue tonight, in the time I have left, which isn't a lot, but that the way you change is this. Maybe write this down if there's any main point, if you have a piece of paper. Change by realizing the magnitude and the meaning of your unity with Jesus. Realizing the magnitude and meaning of your unity with Jesus. That's at least one way. It's not the only way. But that's one way you change is by realizing that. So <clears throat> primarily tonight, I feel like the heart of this chapter and of the passage I read is found in, in verses 3 and verse 5. So again, I'm going to read the time. Paul says, verse 3, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Verse 5, For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we'll certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. First of all, who's Paul talking about here? He's talking about the baptized. Now what does that mean? Um, that's basically just Paul's way of saying the baptized. Okay? Uh, so, who are the baptized? Paul's basically saying, anybody, when he refers to the baptized, he's saying these are the people who have given their lives to Christ. He's just saying these are the, these are the Christians. They've given their life. Let, let, let me put it this way, and this may be the main point for you tonight. Um, I feel like this is a pretty good analogy, illustration. Baptism is sort of like the wedding ring in a marriage, okay? It's sort of like the wedding ring. Um, seeing to fall in love with somebody, it's, it's something else entirely to give yourself fully in lifelong marriage, legally, to somebody, right? But baptism is not the same as the marriage license. 
Baptism does not equate with salvation. It's, uh, it doesn't save you. It's like the wedding ring. So as a wedding ring is to, I mean, you don't have to do the, wet, the ring exchange in a marriage. And it doesn't legally make you married or not if you're not wearing a ring. It's a symbol. Baptism is a symbol of your unity with Christ, just like the ring is a symbol. Um, you can be a Christian and never get baptized. But it's a really great symbol of you being unified with Christ. And, uh, and it's really a testimony to the rest of the Christians that you worship with or that you're a part of. And so it's simply a symbol. Nothing magical happens when you're baptized. But baptism is like a wedding ring. Okay, maybe you'll remember that. It's a public declaration of salvation and your identity in Christ. So back to the passage. Paul brings up the baptized here. He's not talking about super Christians. If you get baptized, it's not this advanced condition. You're not like a better Christian than the other person, your friend, who has never baptized. Paul's just simply saying it's a symbol. So he's, not, he's just talking about everybody who's actually given their lives to Jesus. Okay, is that clear? So what is true of these people? That's what we're looking at. Well, look at verse 5 again. For if we, he says, if we have been what? If we have been united with him. We've been united with him. That word united, you know, you know what that word means. We live in the United States. But what does that word mean in the Greek? The original word used here, I looked at, just looked it up this week in the concordance. I can't even pronounce the, the Greek word. But it brings up this agricultural language, sort of, at least a couple of the definitions. Primarily, the primary definition was it means planted together. Planted together. Or born together with or having a joint origin. Essentially, it literally sort of means grafted in at the root. Like at other places in the Bible, Paul talks about being grafted in, or Jesus talks about being grafted into the... But this word really means like being born together, having a joint origin. So what am I getting at with this? United with Christ means that we have this joint origin with Jesus. We're grafted into the root. We've been planted together him. What does that mean? Look at verse 5 again. It basically means, what does he say? We've been united with him in a death like his. And we'll be united with him in a resurrection like his. We've been united to the past and to the future of Jesus Christ. Jesus' past is now our past. Jesus' future is our future. And that's a promise. That's a certainty. That's what this is saying. So first of all, it says we've been united with him in his death. So again, his past is our past. Flip over real quick if you have a Bible. Flip to Colossians 3. Just a little bit to the right. Colossians is a very short letter. But Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul, this is um, a, sort of a parallel passage to Romans in a lot of ways. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. And I just want you to see this unity sort of language that, that just puts us, if you're a Christian, you and Jesus, sort of like you're just together all over the place. So verse 1, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Whoa, 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 Paul. I'm just... I'm just Brad Zook, and I, I was born in Streeter, Illinois, and I'm just, like, raised with Christ, what? And Paul is like, no, no, legally, there's been this union. When you, like, when you actually give yourself to Christ, or you, you become a Christian, you say, Jesus, you are now my master. Paul says, you're raised with Christ. I know that sounds crazy, but set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. You're like, what, bro? I'm still right here, man. I have not died. And Paul, no. Like, planted together. Same or you were born with Christ. Everything Christ's past is your past. So you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. 
when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. There's all this unity language, been raised with Christ, seated with Christ. Our life is hidden with Christ. And we will we'll appear with Christ again when he appears. So what is this? Um, <clears throat> here's, here's another maybe lame illustration, but I'll, I'm going to put it like this. Imagine a person who's become rich, like rich, okay? Very, very rich. And how did, this, how did he or she become rich? He became rich through the diligence of a lot of hard work and a lot of effort at a good business or at a good paying job. But a lot of diligence, um, a lot of hard work and effort, okay? That's how this person is rich. But now, get this, this person gets married, right? So how, does, how do all of these riches come to this new spouse? Through legal union. Like, surely by grace, right? As long as it's a regular marriage, the way marriages maybe should work, and you get married and you don't, like, hoard your wealth. But through legal union, the one person has done everything, did all the hard work, worked hard, put forth the effort, made But the second person just gets married. How? Through legal union. It's by grace. She or he enters into this relationship and suddenly is like, I'm loaded. And so they just got married. So what does that mean for us? This passage is telling us this. When Jesus, why is he at the right hand of the Father? It's the place of honor. The right hand of the Father is where the prime minister sits when he comes to visit the president. Or we put the, con- the returning conquering general. Um, you know he's at the right hand of the Father? Because look at all that Jesus has accomplished. Look at his life. Look at his nobility and at his goodness and at his radiance and his greatness and his splendor. And so when the father looks at the son, his heart bursts with delight, right? And this text is saying, Romans 6 and Colossians 3 is saying that everything Jesus Christ has done is now legally true of you. If you're with him, if you're unified with him, the determining factor in your relationship with God is no longer your past, it's Christ's past. Some of you guys cannot get over something or some series of things that's been in your past that you feel like blocks you from God. Like, I cannot become a Christian because I did that, that one summer or whatever. Or those things happened to me. But you're, when God looks at you, it doesn't, he no longer sees your past. He sees Christ's past. And the Father loves you and accepts you and delights in you. And he sees you as having all of the beauty and the greatness and the glory of his own son because you're united with him. So God sees you as as free of condemnation for the guilt of your sins as if you had died yourself and paid the penalty for them. Why? Because when God looks at you, he sees Christ. And because he sees Christ, he sees that you are already united with him. But you know what else? That's just the first thing, right? Back to Romans 6. It's not just our past, but our future. I already said this. But the second half says this. We will certainly also be united with in a resurrection like his. It says certainly. We will certainly. doesn't say conditional. doesn't say conditional upon your good behavior or your right behavior or, again, your church attendance and Bible reading. It doesn't say only if you live a good life. That's not how it works because if you're really a Christian, which you go, I think I am, just who, who are you trusting in? Who's your master? Have you given your life to him? Have you said, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord and master of my life? But if you've done that, Christ's future is also your future, and that's guaranteed, and it's a promise, and you don't have to fear 
or have anxiety. So here's the thing, this Christianity thing, uh, not just a get-out-of-jail-free card. And I think sometimes we think we get into this Christian life for so many different reasons. For some of us, it's a default because your parents just sort of raised you this way. And so for you, it's still sort of just that, like just faith of your parents. Or we get into it because we want inner peace. Or we get into it because our friends are Christians. Or um, we want forgiveness for our sins or whatever. But I think God has way more in store for you. And the Christian life is a whole lot more than just inner peace. We've been united with Christ in every way. And that will give you a radically new identity in which to live. And that radical identity will take a whole lot of different ways, but that's a whole new worldview. It's a whole new lens for you to see everything, and it's an entirely different lens with which to deal with the chaos of life. So we still have sin, right? We're still in this body. We have this union Christ, and yet at the same time, we still deal with a fallen nature and a sinful world. And so let's be honest, you'll still encounter chaos. But for the Christian we have a whole different lens to see, to it with, to see everything with. We have a Savior who loves us and who paid the price enough to give his own life so that we could have life forever. So that not just is our past secure, but our eternity is secured. Let me pray, and um, I'm going to introduce these two coaches, and we're going to baptize these two girls. So, Father God, thank you, thank you, thank you for this, um, Lord, this legal union that we don't even fully get, like, God, how is this really the case? How is this really the case that if we're a Christian, we've been raised with you? How is it really the case that if we're a Christian, we've died with you? And our, our life is now hidden with you, Jesus, in God? God, it's hard to get, and yet, um, Father, I believe it. And I feel like it's like the marriage union, God. We just, we just got married. We just entered in, we married this rich man and. All this wealth is suddenly just ours by grace. Lord, it's not by works. It's not through uh, this, this life of good deeds. Lord, that's great. But God, that's not how we start a relationship with you. And that's not how we end a relationship with you. It's wholly by grace. And so, Lord, thank you for the symbol of baptism. Thank you for what it means. Thank you for the, um, just the sim- symbolism of the fact that we're buried with you and we're raised with you. And that brings a whole new identity for us. So, God, help us to see our true identity, and live out of that as we face a very, very chaotic world. So God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight, um, we get to witness the baptism of these two girls. And my favorite part of baptism, you guys, is their stories. And so this is always how we do this. But these two girls, their stories are awesome. The stories of their own, like, this is my new identity. And I met Jesus, and um, you'll hear that. And so um, Coach Chris Steer and Coach Christina are um, the FCA directors at Platteview High School. It's down by Springfield. And um, you guys, God's just like doing some great, he's just sort of blowing up FCA at Platteview, and it's awesome. And um, these two, like coaches, like, it's not me, but they're leading it. You guys, you can come on up here. I'll transition into this. I'll get you mic'd up and stuff. Um, but Chris Steer is also a Brooksider. And as I said, Jaden Doring's also a Brooksider, but they just sort of thought, we don't have water, and it's too cold to go down to the river and, or to a lake. And so, but let's do this in a church. And so um, even to you family and parents and friends and all you other FCA students, like, thank you for supporting girls and your daughters. And um, this is a really 
cool thing. So um, give us just a second. Christina's going to read both of these testimonies, and, uh, and Chris is going to actually baptize them, but we got to get mics and good. We got a chair.